Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Digital Bones Podcast. I'm your host, David, and today we're going to dive right into all of the great news coming out of WWDC 2023. As Apple kicked off a major event this week, they had many announcements, so let's get started. First up, Apple announced the release of the 15-inch MacBook Air. This is a welcome machine into Apple's lineup. Essentially, there was a giant gap missing. Uh, if you wanted a, a laptop that had a greater than 13-inch screen in their lineup, you couldn't get one without springing for a MacBook Pro 16-inch at this point, and that was going to cost you. The release of the MacBook Air comes in at just $1299 compared to $2499 for the MacBook Pro. So you can see there's a huge gap there price-wise. And with this machine, you get all of the benefits of Apple's MacBook Air, the updated variant that came with the M2 chip. You still get that same M2 performance, 18 hours of battery life, and you get the portability and fanless design from the 13-inch model. So from what I can tell right now and what I've read, it looks like this is essentially the 13-inch stretched out. So the 13-inch is a wonderful machine. I have the M1, the original MacBook Air design. Uh, or I should say the classic MacBook Air design with the wedge shape prior to them redesigning it for the M2 chip pretty recently. It's a great machine. Love it. Highly recommended. Most people anymore with the performance that you're getting out of these M-series chips don't need to spring for a Pro unless you just really want some of the extra you know, benefits of you know, better screen technology, or maybe you need more IO or you, you do require more of a pro workflow. You know, this machine isn't necessarily for the photo video editor types. Uh, it can be, but the pro probably suits that a little bit better. In this case, this is more for your everyday user who's doing, you know, web browsing, email, IM, text, you know, listening to music or videos, word processing, you know, your, your sort of standard office use case and personal browsing use case. And like I said, they're more than capable of, you know, high-end workflows. Don't get me wrong. You can get into Final Cut or DaVinci and start, you know, editing video in there and, and you will not have a problem. However, if you are very serious about those things, you more than likely would like to bump up to a little beefier machine in the pro line. But it, it is a great addition to their lineup, something that's been missing for quite some time. And it's a fantastic device. I can't wait to get my hands on it uh, and really check it out. It should be available next week. According to Apple's website, you can order them now. It looks like you'll get delivery on Tuesday, June 13th, as of this recording, at least in my area. Some of the features here, it's pretty much the same standard feature set that comes with the 13-inch model. The main difference is the screen size. So you get a 16-core neural engine, 15.3-inch liquid retina display with True Tone, a 1080p FaceTime HD camera, comes with a MagSafe port, which is fantastic for those who need that extra I.O. so you, you don't lose one of your USB-C ports like I do when I have to charge my M1 model. It comes with an 8-core CPU and a 10-core GPU and 8 gig of unified memory. And for the $1299 price, you get the 256 gig SSD. Now, obviously, you can spec these up a little bit more 
from where we sit right now, up to 24 gigs of unified memory for a price and up to two terabytes of SSD storage for a price. But you can definitely spec those up to have, you know, a lot more robust compute power than what the base model has. So again, another welcome addition to the lineup. Apple also announced that Mac Studio was getting some updates. Essentially, nothing's changed except for the in internals here. M2 Max and M2 Ultra are now available where it used to be an M1 Max and M1 Ultra. So we've got some additional horsepower here for a base price of $19.99. You can get the M2 Max chip, 12 core CPU, eight performance cores and four efficiency cores, a 30 core GPU, 16 core neural engine. This thing's a beast. It has 32 gig unified memory by default, but it's configurable of up to 64 for the M2 Max chip or up to 96 with the M2 Max with a 38 core GPU. Comes standard with 512 gigabyte SSD, but you can get up to eight terabytes. The Ultra chip though comes in at four grand, $39.99. With the Ultra, you get a 24 core CPU, 16 performance cores and eight efficiency cores. You get a 60 core GPU, a 32 core neural engine. Um, essentially it doubles everything from the M2 Max chip is what it looks like. Um, I'm sure that's not incredibly true across the board, but it's pretty close. So you can get 64 gigs of unified memory or up to 192 gigs of a memory configured. It comes with 64 gigs unified memory, but you can configure it up to 192. So these things are just beastly machines. You won't miss a beat. So if you want something on your desk that's basically a Mac Mini on steroids, that's your boy right there. The biggest announcement probably out of all of the hardware updates was the announcement of the new Mac Pro. So the new Mac Pro now moves off of the Intel series of chips and it's now part of Apple's M series of chips. This is the last machine of Apple's standard lineup from the Intel days to transition over and get Apple Silicon inside. This machine starts at $69.99. It comes with an M2 Ultra chip in every configuration. You can start with a 24 core CPU up to 76 core GPU, 800 gigabytes a second memory bandwidth, 192 gigs of unified memory, yada, 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 right? So I'm just laying out here all these specs and it's, it's a beast. It is an insane machine. However, I'm really struggling with its purpose. I'm almost feeling like this machine, I'm not quite sure what you're going to do with it from a configurability standpoint, because the way these chips are designed, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm not a chip expert, but it feels like the majority of things from the bygone days of configuring and upgrading your machines, building your own towers, um, not necessarily building your own Mac towers, but back in the Mac Pro was a lot more plug and play configurable with other things. You know, you would expand with additional GPU power, you know, RAM and things like that. But now a lot of that's handled by the chip itself and soldered on directly. And you need to order it with those configurations that you need. So that's where I struggle a little bit. Uh, this does come with a lot of I.O., can run, you know, a bunch of displays at once and take, you know, tons of 8K video feeds. However, I, I just don't really know where this sits in the lineup compared to the Mac Studio. 
I can't imagine there will be a high volume of these machines sold, and therefore I don't know if this is going to be long for the world. So that sort of wraps up the Mac hardware that was announced at WWDC. A lot of great enhancements to the lineup. However, my money's on that Mac Studio as the machine for power users as opposed to that Mac Pro. It really feels like the Mac Studio is the sweet spot between price and performance. Um, at least that's the way I see it. I can't see very many of these Mac Pro machines being sold. They do still have a configurable tower. You can add PCIe inputs, but again, I'm not sure what all that entails at this point. What's compatible? What even exists? The afterburner cards were pretty popular in the Intel machine, but I believe that's all taken care of now with the performance of Apple's chips. So anyhow, um, we move on to iOS. iOS 17 was announced, and sort of the theme for the rest of the keynote for me was software had modest quality of life enhancements, no earth shattering features. So in iOS 17, we get updates to the phone app, to FaceTime and messages. So what did we actually get? So in the phone app, we get personalized contact posters and you can set them similar to those Memoji cards you might see where you set a Memoji for your contact card and it's really annoying whenever you open someone's contact that you have a good photo for, but it keeps prompting you to use their emoji instead. This is that, but it's on steroids. So basically it's a full screen wallpaper with whatever photo you choose for yourself. You can add text to it. You can, you know, use a full emoji, whatever. It's, it's neat looking again, nothing earth shattering. We'll see. It's neat. I, I'm not really into it that much. I don't really care about this feature all that much, but it is, it's a nice touch. It looks pretty when you look at the, the mock-ups and the screenshots. We also get live voicemail with voice-to-text transcription before answering, and it's handled on device. So that's kind of neat. When you get a voicemail, you can silence your phone and sort of read the live transcription to either screen calls or if you're in a meeting. But again, if you're sitting in a meeting and you ignore the phone call and then you just sit there and stare at your phone anyway... It's a little, <laughs> I, I don't know how well that feature will, will work in the wild, but again, it's not a terrible idea. I don't mind it. It is, it makes, to me, it at least makes surfacing that information a little easier because right now going into your voicemails is a little tedious to go get the transcription out, but the transcription hasn't been that great historically. I find a lot of errors in mine. So again, we'll see how this feature works when it comes out, but it is a nice quality of life feature. We also get FaceTime, I don't know why Apple didn't use this marketing term, visual voicemail. So when you miss a FaceTime call or you're calling someone and they don't answer, you have the option now to leave them a video message, which is really neat. I've been waiting for this for a long time. It's one of those things that I thought has been a missed opportunity forever. However, it is probably technically expensive in terms of where do we put this video and how do we save it? And there's a lot that goes into it. But to have that available to us is a really great, new, nice way to be able to, you know, end a FaceTime call where you didn't connect with somebody as opposed to it just dying out at the, at, on the end of the call and, and nothing happens. So that's great too. And messages. Messages got a lot of love during this. So basically, uh, Search finally got some filtering, which I've been dying for when you're as old as me and you have a long iMessage history with people and you're trying to surface links and find old posts and you know someone sent you something but you just can't surface it for whatever reason, 
you know you can at least now narrow down some of those searches to individuals and, and things like that. And they haven't really made iMessage search all that great in the past. It finally became searchable, and that search isn't all that good. I find a lot of times I'll be looking for something, and I never can find it. I mean, there's just so much data and information in my messages app at this point that I could really use some advanced search techniques to surface information that I'm trying to find. So this will be welcome. I haven't used it yet, so I don't know how good it is. Time will tell. Again, we're in beta season, so things change constantly. Uh, if you scour like the Reddit forums and things like that, people are complaining about certain things going on. And uh, again, I reiterate, it's beta season, guys. So don't forget, if you're using a beta and having issues, file a feedback and get that into Apple so that they can try to make adjustments. Now, it's not not always the case they will, but now's the time. And in terms of messages, we can swipe to reply on any bubble, which is fantastic because right now it's pretty cumbersome to do a long press, hit reply, then type, then send. It's kind of cumbersome. So they've streamlined that a bit, which is welcome. Audio messages are now something that you can transcribe. Um, all emojis are available as stickers, which again, I'm not sure how many people use that. It's not for me. Uh, I'm, I'll probably play with it a little bit, but again, I can't recall being in any message threads right now where people are using stickers very often or even emoji any, anyway, that never really stuck at least from the circles I run in. And I really don't see it a ton online either. So I'm assuming these aren't heavily used or potentially they're used for a younger audience and maybe that's the case and that's fine. Uh, it doesn't have to be for me, but just something to note. They also have a check-in feature, which is really cool for when you want to alert somebody you're leaving and heading home and it will send out, you know, locations and track progress and send updates to the family members you just define in there. And so they can see if you've gone off route or if anything unexpected happened and it'll alert the person that you or people that you have defined in the check-in, which is really cool. You can also do location sharing in line within a conversation, which is great. And audio messages now have a transcription feature. You know, I've had hit or miss luck with audio messages in the past. When you try to listen to them, there's this weird song and dance of like, will it play? Will it not play? Did you hit play too many times? Does it play and then stop? Do you need to put it up to your ear to listen? Does it start automatically? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, user error. Uh, but I have a hard time on occasion getting that thing to function the way that I'd like it to. Next up, we have AirDrop. AirDrop um, got a few features. NameDrop is a new way to share your phone number and contact information with another person nearby. <coughs> bump. Um, if anybody's been around forever with iOS, it's bump has been a thing for a million years. If you know, you know. Uh, Autocorrect, finally using a transformer language model similar to those with like chat GPT and things like that, where they can help to improve your text predictions. So, and basically it's, it's, it's enhancing that autocorrect functionality from those I've seen who've tried it, say it works a lot better. Uh, I'll wait till I get my hands on it. I have some colorful language at times. And, uh, you know, as Craig Federighi joked during the keynote, sometimes you really want to type a ducking word. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's see how this works. The cool thing with that feature, I guess, before I move on, is that predictions are personalized by your words and usage, which I feel like I've heard this before and I don't know. It's hard to tell, you know, when, when they use these machine learning models on your device to learn things that you do, it's, I haven't really noticed it working for me. I still feel like a lot of places where it's supposed to be doing that, I'm still not getting the benefit of like, it knows what I'm going to say, especially with swipe texting. Um, 
And again, I'm not 100% sure that swipe texting falls into this category, but that's one of those ones where I've been getting extremely bizarre words when I'm doing swipe texting. And, you know, it just manages to send bizarre things before I catch it and hit the send button. Uh, For instance, the other day I was trying to type the word sometimes to somebody as just a single word response and it came up with Siberian. So there's that. Uh, The journal app was announced. The journal app looks really cool. So this uses on-device machine learning to create uh, suggestions for your journaling. Um, You know, you can get photos, workouts, the various things you do on your phone will be like feeds inside the app for you to maybe reflect on or journal about, which is really cool. And no one else can provide that level of input to prompt you. So it'll be really neat to see how this how this plays out when the app is fully released and people get a chance to really use it. But I'm excited about it. I think it'll be really cool. Uh, There's also standby mode. Standby mode is interesting. So standby mode is essentially you can turn your iPhone with a always on display. You can put it on a a MagSafe uh, charging stand and you can turn it sideways and it will it it has uh, essentially it has some sort of tracking mechanism where it knows which MagSafe stands you use. I'm assuming these are official MagSafe stands not third-party ones and it will basically save whatever settings you have so if you say for instance you have one in your office and you have one in your bedroom and in your bedroom you want the screen to be dim for night and show just a clock you can do that in your office you want to see your calendar and clock you could do that and in each setting it'll automatically know which one you have saved and it will use that setting on that dock in that space, which is really cool. This feels like a feature that's being tested for a larger home device, potentially a home pod with a screen on it. This is exactly what that seems like to me. Um, I don't know that, but I would assume, you know, you see Apple trickle in little weird features like this, uh, you know, over time and it turns into a building block for something larger. So that's kind of cool. It supports uh, live activities. You can show widgets, photos, you know, serial work and, you know, all these various things it's it's pretty cool so we'll see what that looks like you know after after time but uh yeah really really nice quality of life updates for uh ios 17 next up we have ipad os 17 so ipad os 17 essentially not much has changed except for now you can personalize your lock screen just like you can on your iphone and ios 16 and you can add some features there there's widgets you know things like that that will show up on your screen which is awesome um they also have interactive widgets that are they're minor interactions you know on off type of things there's nothing really crazy going on there but it will be nice there's a pdf enhancements with autofill functionality that can identify uh fields and forms and and update those which is pretty cool and um they did enhance some of the stage manager functionality so windows are now more resizable more flexible can be drug on top of each other things of that sort so you have a lot going on there which is really neat um i've played with that a little bit so right now my only device i have on a beta is my ipad pro 12.9 inch i've been running stage manager on an external display apple studio display and it's been really good um I mean, obviously it's a beta, so there's some bugs going on, but generally speaking, it runs really well. It's a lot better than it was in iOS 16. So when it stops crashing and things, (laughs) that'll be even better, but you can see the potential already. And I know that going in, I'm in a beta. It's not something where I expect this thing to be hundred percent rock solid. The one gripe that I've seen people have online is that some of the windows don't take up as much screen space as they used to. But I think part of that is so that you can drag and drop a little easier and grab the edges of these windows and, and specifically the controls. 
So you don't have the stoplight controller like you do on Mac OS with the red, yellow, green. You have those three dots at the top of each window. So those three dots at the top of the window, you know, they could get hidden or obscured and a little harder to interact with. Plus you have swiping up and down from edges and corners and notifications and things like that. So I think that's why they did that. I don't know if that'll change, but that's one of the big gripes I've seen. Um, otherwise, I mean, stage manager is what it is, right? Like you're on an iPad. There are limitations. We still know this, even though there are pro apps now present on the iPad, it's still the iPad. Like I still run into issues where if I want to use it, it just isn't the same as a Mac. And I love my iPad to death and I really want it to be more. And it's very close. I, for some reason, there's something about an iPad that makes it feel like um, a more immersive experience and something that you can really grab onto and create with. I don't know why it feels so much different on, on my iPad than it does on my Mac, but it just does. And I, I love that device. So I hope it'll get better soon. It's not terrible, but again, it's still limited in a lot of ways. Like I use web apps and email a lot, and there's just some areas where the iPad just doesn't handle it well. And it's the touch interface part of it that causes some problems. It's just not built for some of these things. So, you know, it's not as easy to side-by-side windows and resize and copy and paste and move data around and stuff like that. It's getting a lot better. It's way more usable than it ever has been. But again, it's still lacking some. The Notes app also has an update to the PDF experience. So, you know, you can annotate and collaborate in, in PDFs directly in the document and you can have live collaboration there, which is a welcome feature. Messages, I think, pretty similar to the Messages app on iOS 17. FaceTime, we can, you know, again, all the same stuff there. So the Health app was also announced for the iPad. Again, this is, it's cool. I love the Health app. I use it a lot. I exercise regularly. I check my my data there. So I will use this because it's just a bigger screen and easier to see. But again, nothing incredibly crazy. Freeform, you know, has some nice updates to it. Spotlight's a little faster. Uh, You know, again, most of the same stuff that happened within iOS 17 will be happening within iPad OS 17. So again, we've already covered that. Watch OS 10 was announced. Watch OS 10. It was okay. Um, The highlight feature here was basically widgets. Um, basically the Siri, the old Siri watch face was redesigned to allow you to have widgets. To me, the highlight of this is Snoopy and Woodstock, if I'm honest. Um, Snoopy and Woodstock watch faces are now available, which is really cool. But um, jokes aside, it's, it's okay. It's again, the watch to me, the watch is interesting, right? You have a small screen. You can really do only so much. The one cool thing they did do was uh, they mirrored the cycling workout onto your phone display. So you could dock your phone on a bicycle on a mount. And when you start the cycling uh, session, it will show you your stats that you would see on your Apple Watch right on your iPhone. So it's a lot safer. So you can just glance down just like you would, you know, your car stereo. In this case, you're driving a bicycle around. And they also have metrics in there to, you know, similar to like Peloton, right? They can show you which zone is your FTP, which is your functional threshold power. Um, You know, we can get into all this stuff. Uh, but to me, those were the, the feature updates, right? The hiking app has a really neat feature where on the compass, it'll mark the last place you had cellular connectivity. So that way, if you needed to get it, you could go back, which is really, really cool. And they've added, you know, topography and elevation, you know, into some of the maps and things, which is really neat. Um, but again, it's the widgets are kind of, uh, uh, that's the thing, right? Like you, instead of having all these complications on your watch, you can just scroll up and see widgets and interact with them, which is 
it's cool. I guess it lets you have more beautiful watch faces instead of functional ones. I'm a modular guy. Like, give me as much data on my watch as you can get, and I'm good. So, um, I don't know. It's again, it, it's just watch OS has never been really that entertaining to me. And rounding out our software, we have Mac OS Sonoma. So we honestly don't get a ton. Uh, you get interactive widgets was kind of the selling point. So you can grab widgets, put them on your desktop, and interact with them, which is cool. They can be widgets that come from your iOS device. As long as your phone is nearby, it can use the widget, which is kind of cool. So again, I'm kind of waiting to try this out. Once I feel comfortable, either in beta or once it's finally released, we'll give it a give it a go and see how it how it is. But using continuity, they they can, you know, pull widgets off your iPhone. It doesn't even have to be installed, you know, on a Mac. That that particular app doesn't have to be installed on the Mac, I should say, which is really cool. Um, some of the video conferencing features were announced, which were cool, where they can kind of green screen and put your body on top of video content as you're presenting. That looks kind of cool. So you could be showing a presentation and then virtually put your body in front of it so that you're actually presenting in front of the content, similar to how you would standing on a stage in front of a projector. So that, that was kind of cool. I can't wait to see how that actually works, if there's any weird oddities in your video feed, because obviously Apple has it done in perfect quality conditions with great, super fast internet. How does that work when you're on an actual call at home and, you know, your dog's barking, your kids are screaming and, you know, your internet's going out. <laughs> None of us have been there. Uh, Safari got some updates. So Safari really enhanced the private browsing feature. So there's a lot more protection from, from trackers and trying to keep your information truly private. You can also stay organized by separating browsing between topics and also keeping cookies, histories, extension, tab groups, favorites separate. That's really cool and welcome. I've tried tab groups. They're hit or miss on the reliability, to be honest with you. A lot of times they get stuck or stalled or cause me to have to restart my browser. So I've kind of stopped using them. It was nice when they worked across devices, but again, I was having a lot of issues there. Maybe that's better now. I've turned it off for quite some time, so I'll have to give that a new shot. There's a focus on games. I'm going to kind of skip past this because games and Mac are kind of allergic to each other. Again, it is it is what it is. So if you're a gamer, they did do some stuff there, but it's not all that interesting in my opinion. They also enhanced the screen sharing app so that it should work with better performance and higher frame rates. And so you can, you know, have a machine that's at an office and you remote into it and, you know, you could edit Final Cut or DaVinci or whatever. That's kind of their their selling point. So we'll see how that works. But I've had good luck with screen share. So then there was an enhancement to a lot of accessibility features as well. Again, Apple's like first in class and all of those accessibility features and, and functionality. And they do a fantastic job making sure that works. And then we had the home and audio section of the keynote where we talked about the Apple TV and the big the biggest update here is basically FaceTime on Apple TV 4K. Again, this kind of leans into the idea of a home device, whether it's an i uh, excuse me, a home pod with a camera or something of that sort. We'll see. But there's a continuity camera feature coming to the Apple TV 4K, which is really cool where you can basically take a FaceTime call and it can broadcast it to your television. So you can sit in front of your TV with a bigger screen if you're having a, like a family video, you know, FaceTime with somebody is really neat. And one of the other ones, uh, one of the other features I should say that was announced alongside that was for CarPlay. Uh, this one caught me. So there's been a ton of little updates to Apple Music, which we won't get into here, but CarPlay has a really cool new sharing feature, which it kind of mimics the Spotify Connect stuff. But, and if you're not familiar, Spotify Connect, basically, if you're on, you know, same Spotify plan, 
or I don't even know if you have to be on the same plan anymore, but essentially you can see other Spotify devices and what they're playing. And then you can, you know, jump into those sessions and control audio. So like a prime example was like my wife and I, you know, one of us would be driving and playing something from our phones. But while that person's driving, we wanted to switch something one of the kids wanted to hear. So, you know, you get into your, you just get your phone out, open the app and you could change it from there. That was kind of cool. But um, Apple has something similar where if you have a CarPlay uh, headset in your car, uh, you can basically do um, the sharing feature that they have where uh, SharePlay. Sorry, I was losing my words here. Basically, they have SharePlay in the car for, for Apple Music. So you can, you know, get in there and flip your music to something else which is really cool. So if one of the kids want to listen to something and they're a little older and have their own iPod or, or iPhone or anything like that, they could go ahead and, or our iPad, they could theoretically get in there and, and change the music themselves or your spouse or significant other or friend or whatever, whoever's in the car with you. So that's kind of cool. I think that's a really, really welcome feature. I know I would use it heavily. AirPods got some software updates. So AirPods now has a blended mode between transparency and active noise cancellation, which is really cool. So, you know, you can be outside and your AirPods will try to filter out noise and deliver that audio to you without all this background sound. But again, it sort of has an intelligent detection system so you can hear what's going on around you and, you know, hear that world in real time. They call it adaptive audio and personalized volume. So that's really cool. And you can keep tabs on the world around you as you're walking. So that's kind of nice, especially for people I imagine who are in crowded cities or busy areas. It's just a, it's a really nice, well thought out feature and I can't wait to try it. Finally, that brings us to Apple Vision Pro and Vision OS. So Apple released their spatial computer is what they call it. And it looks really cool. The one thing though, that I always notice is in the marketing, they keep trying to tout how you're able to interact with those around you, but almost every... video they show it's some person sitting by themselves on a couch (laughs) so what this is is apple vision pro is a headset you put it on it has an external battery pack or it can plug in um, uses a magsafe connector to the side of the headset and you can connect into power and while you're connected you can basically augment your reality so the biggest use case is essentially it replaces monitors is what it seems like and it runs vision os which basically runs ios apps so you know you can make this huge screen and in your own space, you can move it around. It's, you know, contextually aware of where it's at. You interact with it with hand gestures, which looks really cool. You can use a a physical keyboard or a virtual keyboard. You can mirror your Mac's display into virtual space, which is really, really neat. So, you know, if you're using a pro app like Logic or Final Cut or something like that, and you need your Mac, you could actually virtualize that and use it, which is cool because right now the device itself, I don't think has enough compute power for something like that. And so you're kind of limited. Um, it looks really, really cool. Especially like watching movies <laughs> looked really awesome where, you know, if you're sitting in a room, it'll dim the room around you and you can make the screen as big and immersive and expansive as you'd like. And the other key feature is, you know, where they were trying to show that you're not necessarily isolated in your headset is, you know, it can, it has a 3d screen on the outside where it can show your eyes and what they're doing. Um, so you can make eye contact with people, even though it's actually not showing your real eyes, it's like a digital representation of your eyes and it looks, it looks kind of goofy, but it, it all, you know, time will tell the people who have tried it think it's awesome. Uh, but again, it's been like 30 minute demos. 
So I can't wait to really dig in here and see what this thing's capable of, but it comes in at $3,500. So it's a little, uh, little hit to the pocket there. <laughs> um, so I don't know how many people will get a hold of this, but again, Apple's playing the long game here. They know they're not going to sell a million of these things. Well, maybe they will sell a million, but you know what I'm saying? They're not going to be selling, you know, iPhone level volumes of this device. So their goal is to get this out in the wild and refine it and then get that technology out there and get the price down a little bit, I'm sure. Now, again, Apple's prices are always high, so uh, we'll see what that turns into in the long run. However, I'm really excited about this device. I think it could be really cool. For me, there were two use cases specifically that I saw that I thought this would be really cool. One is when I'm walking on my treadmill in the mornings that you could actually have this headset on and you could be getting things done while you're walking because a lot of times I'm just watching you know, YouTube videos or something like that or listening to a podcast, but I could actually be sitting there and actually getting real work done, you know, scheduling my day you know, or responding to emails and things like that, which I can do now, but it's a little difficult as you're moving and walking and trying to type and it's not as easy and not as accurate. And I'm a really fast touch typist on my keyboard. So, you know, for me, I get frustrated when I have a hard time with input devices, especially virtual ones. So using my iPhone to type up emails, I'm always getting typos and things and it drives me insane. So we'll see how that works. But the other one would be actually doing work in my home office where you can have multiple screens going on. You're taking video calls, you know, you've got your web browser and all these kinds of things. So I'm really curious to see how this all works again. Like the actual software itself might be limited. Like what is it like to edit spreadsheets in a vision pro headset? Like, is it the same experience I get on my iPad today? Because if it is, that's going to be a non-starter. If it's not, then that might be really cool. So we'll see. Time will tell. I'm super, super excited about it. I can't wait. I think it'll be really neat. Uh, there's just so much going on there. You know, they have 3D videos you can do where you take 3D video of your family as they're playing out, you know, and, and you can replay it back. And it's like you're interacting with it, which is kind of cool. But again, it's kind of creepy. So I'm not sure where it's going to land, but I'm super excited about it. And I look forward to trying it out sometime soon. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you don't mind, uh, you know, subscribe to the show. Give me your feedback. This is episode number one. So we're building on something here and I plan to get these out hopefully weekly uh, just to kind of get the show going, right? And talk everything Apple with you guys. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And if you stuck around to the end, thank you so much. I'm David with Digital Bones and we'll catch you next time.